I was afraid of trying to make more money at because it, what it would cost me, my time, mm-hmm. my relationships. I realized that within that narrative, there were so many myths that I was holding on to yeah. that I had inherited from my environment, from my culture, that then now mm-hmm. as a woman with agency, I'm like, that's not going to be my life. You have right. to interrupt that. And it yes. takes sometimes someone to tell you this is BS. Sometimes it just takes like taking a step back. Mm-hmm. And then once I decided I wanted to do this, but still do it my way by respecting my fears. Hey, this is Allison and welcome to the Inspired Budget Podcast where we talk all things budgeting, debt, and saving money. Today, I am honored to host Farnoosh Tarabi, a prominent figure in the realm of personal finance, acclaimed podcast host of So Money, and an accomplished author with her upcoming book, A Healthy State of Panic. Farnoosh's insightful approach to money management woven with unique perspective of fear as a superpower sets her apart in the field. With degrees from Pennsylvania State University and Columbia University and features in top media outlets like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, she continues to educate and inspire millions. Today, we'll be diving into how fear can lead us to make healthier financial decisions and the wisdom hidden in the fear of uncertainty. Welcome, Farnoosh, to the Inspired Budget Podcast. I'm glad to finally have you on to chat with our listeners. Thank you so much, Allison. You know, I love you. I know. I, and I love you too, but I'm excited because you have a new book out and it's not your like everyday personal finance, how to budget or save money or invest. It is all about fear. And I want you to tell us a little bit about this book and how you have really like woven in some of your personal experiences from mm-hmm. your life and your childhood and how you've used fear to, I guess, take many more steps forward in your life. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm excited so much about this book. I, it's different for me. I think it's going to be hopefully refreshing for my audience who's li- been listening to me on so money for almost a decade talking about money. And now we're talking about fear, which I don't think completely unrelated to money. I mean, look, I've been in this space for a long, long time. And as you know, and I know when people are talking about money, we're talking about life and really high stakes decisions and the emotional underpinning of so many of our financial questions, whether it is about, should I buy? Should I rent? Should I invest? Should I not? Should I start the business? Should I close the business? Should I leave the job? Should I ask for more money? We're scared. It's fearful. That fear is the emotional underpinning of so many of our financial questions. And I think When I looked at sort of what I wanted to write about, this is my fourth book. It's been nine years since I published. I've published all the different kinds of books about the basics of money and then the psychology of money and women breadwinners. And now I was really ready to kind of talk about money at the intersection of mental health and fear being really the the overarching emotional complexity that we experience when we're dealing with money. But to your point, it's also extremely personal because I am the poster child and the poster woman for fearfulness. I grew up terrified, a a young girl, the daughter of immigrants, the daughter of Iranian immigrants who moved here with the backdrop of a revolution happening in their country, Mm. coming to America in the late 70s, early 80s. And I, born amidst all of that, they raised me to be fearful. I think because, Allison, being fearless is a privilege Oh, yes. you can afford. And my parents were very well aware of risks. Mm-hmm. They had taken many of them in their lives. And now as Americans, 
as Iranians trying to live in America, I always say like the risk bank was closed. Like they were not (laughs) interested in pushing the envelope any further. And I, their daughter was like sort of the recipient of a lot of the, the fear-based parenting. Don't Mm -hmm. talk to strangers. Don't eat your friends snacks. You can't go on sleepovers. You can't, you'll date when you're married. Like, you know, just (laughs) get the A's, get into college, play it safe. And it was a great childhood. There are a lot of funny moments as a result of always being that scared, skeptical girl. But as my mother says, it worked out. Cause yeah, it sure did. I have a great life. I feel like most days I'm putting on my big girl clothes and making big girl decisions and, and getting out there. And I'm not fearless. I'm still terrified. I still think that the world's a scary place, but I think that I have such a good relationship with fear and that's where the book kind of arrives. It's like how to have like an actual relationship with fear as opposed to doing what everyone's told us to do, which is just to ignore your fears, fight your fears, that being fearful is cowardice. I disagree. I think that Mm -hmm. fear is a valid emotion. When it shows up, it's there often to try to protect us. Our job now as adults is to decipher whether or not we're going to pay attention to it. What is it trying to tell us? Often fear has something important to say, to teach. And I think because it's so personal, you have to get intimate with it. I say, show me someone who's fearless and I'll show you someone who doesn't really know who they are. Because when you, yeah, like when you know what your fears are Mm -hmm. and you understand the source of your fears, you really know who you are. You really know what you value. Mm -hmm. You know what you protect. You know how you were raised. You know what your goals are. I mean, all this stuff has for me at least, come to the surface as a result of having a more mature relationship with fear. And I think you and I are all about financial equity and leveling the playing field. And of course, all people have different financial means, but fear is abundant. <laughs> fear is a, <laughs> it's a natural resource that we all have access to. And I say, let's leverage it to the best of our mm-hmm. ability to make those healthy choices. Wow. I love how you basically summed up that Fear is sometimes a survival mechanism. Like for your family, mm-hmm. it was that is how they survived. And that's yeah. how they thought, okay, we're going to raise this daughter in America. And that is how she survives. You are so scared, right? What do they say? Like, I have a cat, and this is so random, but totally relates. We had a cat growing up that we got in kindergarten. It lived to be 20 years old. Whoa. It was an outdoor, indoor cat. And he survived because he was so scared. <laughs> all the time that he constantly was on the lookout and avoided like dangers and it served Mm -hmm. him well. And that's a totally random off the wall example, but that fear you had as a child and your parents kind of pushed into you was a survival tactic. And look, you, you didn't just survive, you thrived. So, and I also love that it's very anti, like just that super positive thinking, like of that mindset. What is that toxic positivity? Yes. Like, yes. Cause it's like, okay, at what point does someone who struggles with depression and anxiety is toxic positivity? Just, it's not helpful because it, it almost just makes it to where it's this thing that you can never achieve. I can never overcome this fear, but should we have to always overcome the fear? No, fear does not just go away. It is that cat that keeps showing up at your doorstep <laughs> or that lost puppy. It's not how our emotions work. And truthfully, I think, again, it, I come from a place and I think we're evolving as a culture. We're coming around to this idea that like all emotions are valid. Mm-hmm. There was a 
a chapter in our wellness culture where it was all about positivity. It was all about happiness and emotions like fear and anger and sadness were branded as bad. Don't go there. They're not worth your time. I think all emotions are valid and there's science Mm -hmm. to prove that even just this year, a study came out and said that people who acknowledge these quote unquote bad emotions like sadness, fear, and anger as having like, they have like a neutral relationship with them, or maybe they even have a positive relationship with them. They are Mm -hmm. far more fulfilled and wait for it, happy, happier than people who look at these emotions and have a negative reaction Mm -hmm. to them. And so what this teaches us is that all of our emotions deserve our attention. All Mm -hmm. of our emotions deserve space in our lives. And it's not to say to always be sad or always be happy. It's just that you have to live life in balance. And when you are triggered by something and it makes you sad or it makes you angry or it makes you fearful, I think it's worth an exploration. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So then can you give me an example? Can you give me an example of a time that fear specifically maybe surrounding money you have yeah. faced that and said i'm not just going to completely ignore it or pretend like this fear doesn't exist and just kind of push it away and uncover it years later in therapy right well that's our instinct right we think that when fear shows up especially in our financial lives that we have to fight it or we have to pretend it doesn't mm-hmm. exist and that what ends up happening is that we end up feeling we, we are stuck we play small we don't ask for the raise we don't push the we don't push the limit. And, and I don't even mean like taking huge risks. Sometimes we just don't even take any steps to progress. I've seen it all a lot in my own career where I'm helping people. They're so afraid of, let's say, facing their bills. So they don't open them. And Mm -hmm. what happens, you know, they think that maybe they're doing the safe thing in the moment or even the brave thing, but instead they're just building more debt. And in a year they are facing something far scarier then there are those who are afraid to ask for more money. So then they don't. And then they end up having a stagnant income for for Mm -hmm. far too long and not ever being able to realize their financial potentials. And so for me, so many examples of how paying attention to my financial fears has been helpful as opposed to ignoring them. There was a time in my 30s, this was after writing a book about being a female breadwinner. My last book is called When She Makes More. And It was no secret that I was making more in my household. I was very proud of that fact. But if I'd be lying, if I said there was a part of me that didn't want to continue making even more money, you know, because Mm. I was looking around and I was looking at people in our field who were talking about making seven figures and seven figure online course launches. And I wasn't doing any of that. And I sort of felt like I was maybe I had more potential, but I wasn't pursuing it financial potential. And I was afraid to become richer because I was afraid of what it would mean from the perspective of like other people looking in and Mm. saying, this woman is just like, it's never enough for her. She always has to go be making more money. And I was mostly worried about this coming from the people that I loved, you know, like my mom and my mm-hmm. parents and friends. I I was worried about really too, that the pursuit of making more money would come at the expense of losing relationships, mm-hmm. losing the closeness with my family, my friends, my mm-hmm. kids, because I assumed, and this was where I was wrong, that making more money meant expending more time, mm-hmm. spending more time away from your family that time is money. And I, as a result, for a while, I just kind of like kept status quo. I was like, Mm -hmm. we're good. Everyone's 
everyone's fed. The mortgage is paid. We're due. <laughs> we have enough. Like, this is good. Like, I'm going to just live in this small space. And it right. wasn't small. Like, we were doing great. You, but I, this comfortable space. Comfortable, right. Comfortable with that, the income and the time, your balance, right? Because right. you assumed that to make more money, something would have to give your time and your yeah. relationship and your balance. And I was afraid of that. I was afraid mm-hmm. of losing those things, which are not small things. Like, of right. course, I thought at the time I was being completely rational. Like, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I, I value my relationships more than money. And so it seemed like the right practical thing mm-hmm. to do was just sort of like keep status quo. And this is not to say that you're never making enough or you should always try to earn more. But mm-hmm. for me, I felt like there was more potential. I could feel it but I was resisting it because of this fear. And it was ultimately a conversation that I had with a financial coach. She was someone I was interviewing on my podcast and she turned the table and said, she just started probing (laughs) me and I got, and I, and I started to like unveil everything I've just told you. I'm like, you know, I just feel like I'm good. I don't, I, I someday like the idea of being a millionaire, like, oh my gosh, that's so abstract. She's like, what are you afraid of? I said, well, I told, mm-hmm. I told I told her everything that I'm afraid of. And she goes, you know, she said, let me ask you a question. Do you, don't you want to be powerful, more powerful? And I said, no, that's gross. I don't want to be more powerful. What does that even mean? Like more power to dominate? She's like, oh, honey. She's like, your, your, oh. your definition of power is the masculine power that we often see depicted mm. in the movies, the, the guy in the, you know, the tower controlling people with his money. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't want that kind of power. And she goes, well, there's not just one kind of power. There's many kinds of power. More money will mean more power to uplift communities, build your dreams, influence people that you want to influence, like create magic. Like there's a lot that your financial power can support and help Mm -hmm. and uplift as opposed to the power that you think, which is like to control and all the things. And so this is a very long story, but basically, no, I love it. She woke me up to the very first step in the chapter on the fear of money in my book. And the fear of money in the book is central to the book. It's like the middle chapter because I feel like it's just like the nucleus of the book. But the first step when you have a financial fear is to discover where it came from, like Mm. who brought it to your doorstep. You didn't maybe just wake up feeling this fear, right? There's probably a story there. So I realized that, again, I was afraid of making more. I was afraid of financial power because of how I'd seen it depicted around Mm. me. It's because of the way that I'd seen people react to it. And I didn't want to be at the butt of these people's reactions. And I didn't want to be shamed. And I didn't want to feel isolated. And, but I recognize that that is a false narrative, or at least it's one narrative. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be my narrative. right? Am I still somebody who wants to do more with money and have a bigger financial life? Yes, that is still true. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, for myself, rewrite my financial narrative, which was basically, I deserve to make as much money as I want. There is no consequence for that. Mm -hmm. And I will say this though, you know, going back to the fear of giving up my time, straining the relationships with my kids and my family. That again was a narrative that it, it might be true for some people. Did it have to be true for me? And I was afraid. Mm-hmm. I think those were healthy fears. Like I don't want to make more money at the, at the expense of right. my relationships. And so I ha- the, the work now 
is with this fear, what can I do to make more money that still protects my time and my relationships? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what the first thing I did was? What? I raised my prices. Nice. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I, I just, wrote another book. <laughs> no, well, I, I just started to charge more money because love it. that takes no time. That mm-hmm. takes no effort. It just takes deciding. And I yeah. did. And secondly, I invested in mm-hmm. an assistant who nice. could help me manage. And that was a hard decision because you're making an investment and you don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to pay off. But I trusted that if I could clear my agenda every day of the tasks that were still important, but time consuming that this mm-hmm. assistant could take care of. And then I could go after the bigger paydays of, mm-hmm. you know, that require time and making relationships and coming up with decks and plans and a lot right, of outreach. Right. And it paid off within a year. I think that for me to kind of put a bow on this story, I was afraid of trying to make more money because what it would cost me, my time, mm-hmm. my relationships. I realized that within that narrative, there were so many myths that I was holding on to yeah. that I had inherited from my environment, from my culture, that then now mm-hmm. as a woman with agency, I'm like, that's not going to be my life. You have right. to interrupt that. And it yes. takes sometimes someone to tell you this is BS. Sometimes it just takes like taking a step back. Mm-hmm. And then once I decided I wanted to do this, but still do it my way by mm-hmm. respecting my fears about losing time and, and my relationships that now the work is like coming up with a plan that works for me, that respects these fears. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I crossed the seven figure threshold within a couple of years. Didn't think I could do it. Didn't feel like it was coming at the expense of my time. I was Good. happier doing things that I loved. It's become a blueprint now for me as I help others figure out how to make more without, because I think this is a universal fear of mm-hmm. like, we assume that if we're going to make more money, it's going to require more time. Mm-hmm. And yes. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy every day, but it doesn't mean that it's going to destroy you, destroy relationships. We see this all the time though. We see like the real housewives, you know, they get famous, they start making more money. What's the first thing that happens? They make the news for their divorces. They have a strange yeah. children. You know, our culture doesn't do a great job of showing that there is another way of becoming, especially as women, to become really successful and rich and not be l- alone. Mm-hmm. I This is incredible because I had a business coach once, Farnoosh, that told me, I can get you. Here's what she said. You're going to love this. If you want to make a million dollars in a year through your business, I can get you there, but you're going to end up divorced and estranged from your family by the end of it. Talk about, I'm like, I don't want to make seven figures. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah, Like, and so I like, I, that just came to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, see my fear around making more money. It's nothing about like relationships necessarily messing up. Even though she said that you would think that would immediately be one of my fears. Mine is like the fear of my own doing, like I'm going to increase my lifestyle so much that that lifestyle creep will be so much that I won't be able to like control myself. And then Mm. if I have a year that's not as good, like we'll have to sell the house and sell the dog and all the things. Right. And so my fear, my thing is like, oh my gosh, I'm scared of my own doing. It's not even like how others Mm. will perceive me or my family or anything like that. It's like, if I make all that money, how am I going to screw it all up? And I feel like a lot mm. of people probably have that thing that like, the fear isn't 
the perception, the fear isn't another thing coming after them. It's them, the person and the choices Mm -hmm. they are going to make. How do you recommend someone overcome that when it's like, they are the thing they fear themselves. Like they, they are the thing that they fear your own behaviors. Mm -hmm. I think that, well, what you just described is exactly the, the beauty of fear sometimes Mm -hmm. that it turns you inward Mm -hmm. and requires you to sort of reflect on yourself. Now the work is long and it's not going to be summarized in a podcast. Like, but I think even just recognizing that Mm -hmm. in yourself is a huge step mm-hmm. and and it is what should guide you it's not saying don't make money it's saying make money but respect this fear yes. of your potential to mismanage the money and so maybe what mm-hmm. that means is that you need to create really these boundaries you need to get help you need to get a financial planner mm-hmm. you need to create some funds that are harder to access it's not on it's everything is as Marie Forleo says, figure outable. Yes. But I think that it starts with really understanding yourself. And that's ultimately what this mm-hmm. book is. It's like when you recognize your fears and you explore them and you ask your fears the questions, essentially you're getting closer to knowing who you are. And when we are in that place, we can make some of the best decisions. Mm-hmm. It's when we don't know who we are, what we want, what we value, what our goals are, what we care about. And then we try to go make decisions, Mm. big, big decisions about with money, with work. I don't have to tell you it's not going to work out. Right. It's like guessing. You're just guessing. You're guessing and checking at the end, guessing, making decisions saying, did this work? Oh, nope. Let me go to the next one. Instead Mm -hmm. of making, when you know your fear, you know yourself, you can make decisions that are truly based on your wants, your needs, your values, all of the above. Today's episode is brought to you by my budget to build wealth. Here's the truth. I do not believe, actually, I refuse to believe that wealth is just for the rich. I believe that wealth can be built on a budget without sacrificing what you love to spend money on. I fully believe that budgeting is the quickest, most effective way for you to reach your money goals. So whether your goal is to stop living paycheck to paycheck, pay off those student loans that have been hanging over your head, or find room in your budget every single month so that way you can start investing for your future, you're going to need a guide, a plan to get yourself there, which is exactly what I'm sharing in my free training, Budget to Build Wealth. In this training, I'm gonna be sharing three massive mistakes that people make with their budget and their financial plan so that way you can avoid them. I'm gonna be sharing with you the secret to freeing up more money in your budget each month so that way you can send extra money to your goals. And I'm going to be sharing with you my tried and true four-step framework to budgeting your way to wealth without giving up what you love. Plus, there is a very special free gift for anyone who stays until the end. You can sign up by going to inspiredbudget.com slash class or just click the link in my show notes. You'll be able to choose a time that works for your schedule and I'll see you there. I love that you talked on how society and and the way we look at our emotions has definitely pivoted and shifted over time. I think so many people might also be holding on though to that toxic positivity and just saying like, Mm. there's no room in my mind or in my heart for any negative emotion, right? Which I, 
as someone who struggles with depression, anxiety is just not realistic. It's not. And I love that you said to talk it out. That's something I do with my husband. I'll get these thoughts and I'll be like, I need to just like speak this out loud. And I just need like a reality check sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's not bad. And I love that you said that because I know some people struggle with fear maybe more than others. And I love how you can use it to know yourself better. Now, moving forward with the way the world is right now, right? Mm -hmm. This episode's coming out in September. A lot of people are still struggling with inflation and feeling a really big pulling towards their budget. And this has caused a lot more fear in people's money and with people's budget. How do you see people taking what's happening right now in the state of the world? Obviously, Mm -hmm. we're not necessarily in a recession, but everyone's freaking out still, I feel like. Mm -hmm. How can people use that to still feel good about their money and feel like, okay, I'm in a place financially where I can feel good Yep. about myself and about my money. Well, often when we fear these big kahunas, like the recession, yes, inflation, I'm worried about climate risks. Did you read recently that insurance companies are not going to be insuring homes that are in natural disaster areas? Like- I did, which is a concern for me because mm-hmm. I live in Houston where we have hurricanes mm-hmm. and I have flood insurance and all my friends don't. And I'm like, How do you not pay extra for flood insurance? This is stressing me out that you're not paying $700 a year for flood insurance because of this fear, right? Right, right. And that's that's you using your fear in a very healthy way. Thank you. I I applause you. Good example. Yeah. And I think to use your example of, I think if I could dissect how it worked out in, in a great way for you, you use that fear in a healthy way. Whereas maybe it didn't throw you for a tailspin. It didn't just like keep you stuck. Cause I think a lot of people have this fear. They're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so what's the difference? You did something about it. Others didn't. Mm-hmm. I think that when a fear that is so big, that is so external that you can't control is abstract, you have to bring it to your doorstep. You have to make it super duper hyper personal And so with a natural disaster, I mean, it's like a lot of like, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, Mm -hmm. but what good is that? That's just keeping you in a place of fear stasis. You need Mm -hmm. to imagine, well, what if a storm hits tomorrow Mm -hmm. and my basement gets flooded? So create these very specific hypotheticals for yourself, not so that you can get more scared, but so you can be prompted to take action. And maybe mm-hmm. the first piece of action is just to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Where is my insurance policy? What does it right. actually cover? Mm-hmm. Do I live in a flood zone? Doing some some shopping around, calling around. What would it even cost, right? Mm-hmm. So that you're not just being paralyzed by this what if, but you're being prompted to do something healthy with this fear. And Mm -hmm. it prompted you to actually go and sign the contract and get the flood insurance. And now you can sleep better at night. I think with the recession, although we're not in one technically, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are reeling from layoffs and Mm -hmm. the increasing prices everywhere. Everyone's going through a personal recession of some sort potentially. And so again, here it's not about worrying, will a recession happen? What if a recession happens? Imagine the recession happens and it's Mm -hmm. tomorrow. You know, make it really recent, really personal, give it some immediacy, 
into your life and say to yourself, all right, now what? Tomorrow, my husband comes home. He says, I lost my job. And yeah. one, one part of our income source is gone. Gone. So what would you do? And again, it's like preemptive, right? So mm -hmm. you're still safe. All is good. But you're able to now think a little bit more rationally because actually mm -hmm. if your husband or your spouse came home tomorrow and said, I lost my job, it's much harder than to work through these, these cases and to actually like you're emotionally drained, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. like running on empty. And so now when you have a little bit more emotional capacity to do these, to do the research and kind of map out a plan, it's a much better time to mm -hmm. do it, but you're using that fear to really, you're bringing it home. And, and that's how you make it healthier for yourself mm -hmm. as opposed to living in the abstract. Yes. I love that. You're actually just coming up with a plan in advance instead of a spouse coming home and saying, I Reacting. lost my job. And then you saying like, oh my gosh, the kids, we have to take them out of soccer. We right. can't ever go out to eat again. How are we going to pay our, it, it's all that emotion. And when right. we can not Impulse. spend our, yes. And when we can't, it's okay to be emotional. Like, I love that point. It's okay to have those emotions. It's okay to be an emotional, but if you can kind of couple that with like facts and a plan, cause you've had this fear before it makes the entire situation maybe like a little more manageable. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. A hundred percent. And maybe mm -hmm. you can even today start taking measures mm -hmm. to create a buffer for yourself in that mm -hmm. event. And uh, I think it's also important, you know, you and I, we work in personal finance. We know the cycles. We know that recessions happen right. uh, every five to six years. We know that the stock market goes up, it goes down, mm -hmm. it's par for the course. But I think most people probably aren't familiar with these things. And so when there is an episode of a recession or a, a bad streak in the market, they think that this is going to happen all of the time and that we'll never see another, mm -hmm. a, a brighter day. And so sometimes your fear just needs some education. It mm -hmm. just needs a little bit of, of history, a history lesson. Yeah. And that's sometimes all it needs to kind of you can, you can lay down that fear. Mm -hmm. You know, the goal is not to go through life fearful all the time. It's just about, you know, if our goal is to do things, not feeling scared, well, that's going to be a journey. That's not mm -hmm. just happen. You don't just go fear, <laughs> go away and then go do the thing. You have to reconcile and unpack that fear and you have mm -hmm. to kind of give it a pat on the back sometimes because it doesn't know what it doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And you're the person, you're the adult in the room to go, okay, I'm going to go like, I'm kind of personifying fear here. I'm making it, it's easy to kind of talk about it in like the third person, you know? No, like, I but love it, it. it. It's helpful, right? Hold on. You could turn this into a children's book. I want to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever read the book on's anger? There is a book on's no. anger and it personifies, it gives, it's a children's book that gives anger an actual like, mm. like monster figure. And it's about talking to mm -hmm. your anger and essentially mm -hmm. like doing the work on it and sitting with your anger. And like, mm -hmm. as you sit with your anger and you start kind of processing these things, your anger grows smaller and smaller and smaller until it's kind of gone. And like your anger could be your friend almost like your anger can be yeah. friend. Like, and it's incredible. It's a wonderful children's book for anyone who has kids that I would say are in elementary school or younger. There's that one. And there's another one stepping stones. And it is amazing for children. I highly recommend it, but you could create a children's book. Here I am giving you your next book. Okay. Farnoosh, here's the 
plan. No, it has come up. It has come up actually, Allison, in my, I have a, a group of supporters that are helping mm-hmm. me with my launch and the, I call them the panic posse. Mm-hmm. And someone in the group said, did you ever think of turning this into a children's book? Because wouldn't it have been great to have had this mm-hmm. book as a kid or even yes. a lot of the comments I've been getting, the reviews are like, I wish I had this book 10 years ago. I wish mm-hmm. I had this book when I was 15 because fear, again, it doesn't go away. It starts mm-hmm. young. And the book, the way I structured the book is I give fear names. Mm. I don't just say fear. The first chapter is the fear of loneliness, fear Mm. of rejection, and then a fear of loneliness, and then FOMO, and then the fear of exposure, and then the fear of money and the fear of of just, I think, I thought like, there's not just one fear, Mm -mm. there's all different kinds of fear. Mm -hmm. And I think once you can recognize which fear you're feeling, then you know which tools to grab. Mm-hmm. You can make it a children's book and then we could do a book for teenagers. There's another book I've read to my kids called Overcoming Anxiety. It's meant for teenagers. I think you should read that because it could help you figure out how to structure your book on fear. I'm like assigning you your next projects, but I think you're oh right. Like, I love it. I love all your ideas. You have the best ideas. <laughs> and here's the deal is like, we weren't growing, we weren't growing up learning how to do this. None of our parents taught us how to do this. You have had to no. figure it out through a lot of inner work. And as a parent, I don't necessarily know how to teach my child this. If I'm still working through it, if I'm not even able to verbalize it, but you have the power to verbalize it in a way that makes sense, why not create that resource for parents to read their children a book, give their teen a book and read through it with them? Because that as a parent, that gives me the resource to say like, okay, I know this is important, but I maybe don't feel qualified or I might not have the vocabulary or know how to phrase it in such a way that connects with them. And so if you have a book that you can read alongside them, which is what I do with my children, it gives you the language to speak. So you're not just speaking that language as you're reading it, you're using that language in everyday life and you're coming back to it. So Okay, Farnoosh, where can we find A Healthy State of Panic and then eventually your children's book and your book for teenagers? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And by the way, I have used this advice on my kids. Really Good. quick story. My daughter came home from school. She was in kindergarten at the time. She's in first grade now. And she was had bruised her face. She'd fallen mm. off like the jungle gym or whatever. And she didn't want to go to school the next day mm-hmm. because she was afraid of what the kids were going to say and how they were going to react. And, you know, as a mom, I'm like, like, I want to protect her. I, and in the moment I was like, yeah, let's just like call in sick this, but I knew that's not the right, you know, like, yeah, I wanted, you know, but so I said, that's not the rational thing to do. You're not going to, even though I knew she might go to school and be made fun of, I was like, we need to find a way to address your fears, but still go do the thing mm-hmm. of going to school. Yeah. So yeah. I said to her, let's, it was in the morning at breakfast. So I said, let's email your teacher. Let's write her a letter mm-hmm. to, in case she doesn't read the email. And I want you to pull her aside when you get to school and just let her know. And the letter will say it. It'll be from us that you're afraid of being mm-hmm. made fun of for the scars on your face from when you fell off the jungle gym. Right. And she's like, all right. And my daughter, you know, she's, she's like, okay, mommy. And, and I, I, you know, <laughs> I had to make sure this teacher saw this note because I didn't call it to consider calling the school. It was so, you know how it is in the morning, like, you want to deliver a message mm-hmm. to a teacher. Like how do you, you were a teacher? Like you yeah. have to, all the reinforcements. Yeah. It's a little bit of chaos. Yeah. And so I'm waiting at home. My daughter's at school now and I get an email from her teacher Aww. around 10 AM. She was like, thank you so much for letting me know about Colette's fears. 
we talked about it before we started the morning. And with her permission, I asked her, can I tell the classroom what you're afraid of? And she said, okay. So we discussed it. We discussed that my daughter is afraid that her scars are going to be, they're going to stand out and the kids are going to make a comment about it. And she's afraid. And then do you know what she said? It was the most beautiful experience because first of all, the kids, everyone embraced but other mm-hmm. kids then started to share their fears and like the girl said, oh, that happened to me too on the playground. I fell and I got hurt and I got bumped. And so it was just, I got goosebumps, but it was like my book coming to life, but for the kindergartners. And I just thought, Aww. okay, I mean, that's probably going to be yeah. the book. I mean, it just wrote itself. There you go. But you can, you can learn more about it. A healthy, <laughs> a, a healthy state of Yes. And then we'll link to that in the show notes. The book comes out October 3rd. So if you want to buy it before then, which I would really Mm -hmm. appreciate because it would really, really help with Mm -hmm. just some bestseller lists that we all want to get on. But I am offering some really awesome bonuses for those who Mm -hmm. do want to purchase early before the pub date. And that's all available at a healthy state of panic.com. Yes. Go grab your copy, order it in advance because not only do you get the bonuses, but then it's also basically going to arrive in a couple of days whenever it is released. You'll get it sooner. You get it a little bit sooner. So go grab your copy. Check out Farnoosh's podcast. Also, So Money. I have been on there twice, two times, and it's a great podcast. Be sure to subscribe to it as well. Farnoosh, I completely forgot. We actually have our three questions. We continue to just chat on and on. So I like to end, oops, I like to end our interview with three questions just to get to know you better. So the first one is what's one thing you're looking forward to? One thing I'm looking forward to is my book party. It's going to be fun. It's going to be the night before the book comes out in Brooklyn, where I lived for over a decade with raised two kids and it'll be nice homecoming. We live in New Jersey now, so it'll be nice Mm -hmm. homecoming. You can, I think there might be tickets still available. You can get it all on the website, but I'm excited to celebrate this book. As you know, as an author, it's a long Mm -hmm. multi-year process Mm -hmm. and to be able to just have my friends and family and Mm -hmm. fans there and celebrate is going to be really, and it's coming up. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I have a dress finally. I don't know what else. Oh, yay. The second (laughs) question is what's one money mistake you've made that you would tell everybody to avoid? Don't start a business with people you don't really know. Oh, (laughs) That's a good one. That's a big one. I have a business. And then a few years ago, I decided to start a side business with two lovely women entrepreneurs who came to me with the best business idea. Mm -hmm. And honestly, we did the thing. We pulled it off, but it was an events-based business. And with COVID, it immediately kind of shut it down. We did it Mm -hmm. once and then we couldn't pursue it again. I just found that I didn't know these women enough personally to Mm -hmm. know if we would actually be able to work well together. Yeah. I think that too often we just focus on, is it a good business? Is there money? Do you have professional, they all had professional experience. Like Mm -hmm. they were the best in the business and class to do what they were doing. We all came together for a reason because I was going to be sort of the media content expert. One was going to be the design build expert and the other person was a marketing genius. So the three of us Mm -hmm. were like, 
a professional force, but personally we had very different personalities, very mm. different temperaments. And so when we had to talk about things like money, which is emotional, it was tough. And mm. I would say to anybody, when you're partnering with anyone, even on a lesser scale, even if it's just to partner for a one-off event, like really get to know their mm-hmm. personalities uh, well, so that you can prepare at least for what's going to inevitably be emotional conversations around money and the business. Yeah. It's not just all business. It's very emotional. That's so true. My last question isn't a question at all. Just complete this sentence. My favorite thing I've ever spent money on is my house. Oh, I, I love currently. it. I love our house. I know that home buying is having a moment and it's oh, well. not for everybody. And we definitely, it's in the book. Mm-hmm. I talk about buying this home in the pandemic mm-hmm. before, well, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we were not involved in like these 20 way bidding wars. That oh, that's nice happened. So we got, did you get the low mortgage though? Did you get those low interest? Oh, that's nice. Yes. Good. So we're never moving. And yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's how I feel too. I was, I sometimes look at homes and I'm like, Oh, look at this. Matt's like, not at 7%. Yeah. Absolutely not. You know, that show love it or list it. I'm like, I'm loving it and I'm never listing it until (laughs) I, but no, I truly love it. And I hope everybody loves their home and Mm -hmm. That was always my goal. I met a woman one day. She was like, I just love my house so much. And, you know, we lived in a small Brooklyn apartment at the time. Mm-hmm. I liked our house. It was good. It did. It served us, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like I couldn't wait to go home, you know, but oh. I just love my home. I love coming home from vacations and just sleeping mm-hmm. in my own bed. I just love, I love our home. I love our home too. I do. Yeah. Sometimes I want to change it, but then I'm like, no, I love it. It's the perfect size for when my kids leave. It's not too much of a house. Also, like that's one of my big things is I don't want something so massive that it's, it doesn't make sense to keep it whenever it's just my husband and I and my cat and dog and whoever else (laughs) comes by. But yeah, I love it. Well, thank you, Farnoosh, for joining us. I'll link to your podcast and your new book that's coming out soon, A Healthy State of Panic. And then is that going to be in stores or mostly online? I hope it'll be in stores. Stores are getting very, very, very picky. They're getting very, 70% of what's in a bookstore is a, is a book that has already proven its track Mm. record. And so the newer books have a harder time getting real estate, but we have also heard it's mostly fiction now. Like even Barnes and Noble is going towards more fiction. Yeah, it's true. The the nonfiction self-help section is getting smaller and smaller, Mm -hmm. but Hey, thanks to the internet. <laughs> and you can still order from your indie, favorite independent bookstore mm-hmm. online. And so if you want to support your indies, you can still do so online. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, if you're enjoying the Inspire Budget podcast, be sure to leave a rating and review. I'll be back next week with another brand new episode. See you then.